On today's episode of Power View, we're going to be taking a look at banking a little bit further than what we did on our previous episode, uh, focusing on how money gets its value, uh, how the U.S. maintained its world reserve currency, and a bunch of other fun and interesting things, or hopefully fun and interesting things, uh, about banking and the whole world of currency. So without further ado, uh, as always, I'm Braden. He's Jordan. Together, we are the Realist Idealists, and this is Power View. So, as we mentioned at the top of the episode, we're really trying to start our focus here with how money gets its value. So, uh, it was mentioned in the previous episode on banking and currencies, which I guess now is a, a couple episodes back. Um, but we talked about two, the Bretton Woods yeah. agreement. Sorry, what was that, Jordan? Yeah, sorry, I, was just, I think it was two, two or three back. Yeah, yeah, two or three episodes ago, um, we talked about the Bretton Woods agreement um, and essentially the shift from that to the permanent floating of the U.S. dollar, right? To kind of bring us up to speed with our current. Uh, climate for how currencies are valued, right? Um, but I think it's a, like we already kind of touched upon how that whole system worked, but I think it's important to focus on what happened to the U.S. currency uh, once they decided to not be backed by gold, right? Um, how did they, or did they, I guess, <laughs> uh, yeah, I maintain think, yeah. their their world reserves currency status right and how all those things play after out, right? yeah because i think i started yeah. poking questions towards the end of the, the banking recording in that direction so yeah we definitely <laughs> that episode was very long for anyone who, who watched it i appreciate you uh sticking to to the end um but yeah we definitely by the end of it we're trying to wrap things up very quickly and 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 ripping through some stuff so um with that being said, right, the Bretton Woods Agreement, um, again, you can watch that episode to, to get a little bit more details on it. But this was this idea kind of near the end of World War II, um, all other currencies would be backed by the U.S. currency and the U.S. currency would be backed by gold, right? Um, that's the the commodity that would justify the evaluation of that currency, right? And so everyone else was based off of the U.S.'s dollar, which gave them the the world's reserve currency status, right? Which allowed um, them to carry it away from gold. Sorry, what was that? Sorry, so that allowed them to carry it away from gold. Yeah, so so yeah, the Bretton Woods Agreement allowed for kind of ninety nine percent of the of the currencies to move fully away and just okay. kind of ba base themselves off of, hey, how much money do we have relative to how much money the U.S. has, um, based off of the fact that okay, the U.S. has X amount of gold, they were allowed X amount of currency to be created, right? Yeah. Um, okay. So fast forward, right? Um, we already had kind of mentioned this. Uh, the U.S. eventually kind of permanently uh, floats the dollar, uh, meaning that they won't tie their uh, currency's value to the amount of gold that they had in their reserves, right? Yeah. Because okay. um, typically, kind of prior to even the Bretton Woods Agreement, 
that's how everyone did it, right? It's I kept a bunch of gold based off of the value of that gold. I could kind of create a certain amount of currency that would have to be equal to the amount of gold that we had in our reserve. Yeah. That was the justification. A hundred years ago before this, any country with the most sitting on the most gold had the most currency, essentially. Yes. Yeah. Had the most currency. Um, but more, I guess more specifically to that, and I think this is what you're saying technically, but um, they had the most purchasing power. So the sheer um, like volume of currency, right, whether you had millions or billions or thousands, was almost like the irrelevant factor because it's this scale to what that adds up to, right? So uh, not to jump around here, but there are obviously currencies like for us in Canada, um, we obviously we go up to billions and trillions of, of dollars within our economy. But for the most part, our 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 largest bill, for instance, is a hundred dollars. So uh you're not Bank buying note, yeah. a lot of everyday goods that are kind of more than that. With obviously notes, there yeah. are bigger things. Yeah. Um but the the reason why we only go up to a hundred and not like a thousand dollars is because your average purchase is not like a thousand dollars right as opposed to you can go to uh look at other currencies where the denominations are maybe even start in the thousands right because there are just so many of them printed yes um, from a dollar standpoint again (laughs) using that term loosely like currency standpoint i guess um, what was i'm trying to think maybe like um was it germany in the 20s yeah well so definitely and we're going to get into some of that stuff later with uh, with hyperinflation. I guess a little teaser in that sense. <laughs> but yeah. but even just from a um a, a standpoint of of a government might choose to print more dollars so that more people can have a dollar, but that dollar is worth becomes less, less right? Um, the more dollars you print <laughs> yeah it's almost like but the again, value gets diluted yeah okay yeah yeah so we're actually gonna we're gonna get into all these things so it'll hopefully make a little bit more sense as we kind of go with this but um yeah so the the u.s um under nixon's administration moves away um from the u.s dollar being pegged to gold right but being backed by gold um that's obviously a really important thing because it's kind of the first time ever that we have currencies globally not being backed by any type of commodity, right? And again, kind of harping back to that episode or a couple episodes ago with the banking currency that um, there was always some kind of commodity, so to speak, that was connected to give um, currency its value. Whether it was the like physical gold coins themselves yeah. were were a commodity, right, um, yeah. or uh, being backed by other kind of things, whether it's the again the cuneiform tablets. Um, uh, we talked about, I think, like there there were some uh, societies that tried to use shells and all these different things, right? Painted rocks. Um, because you were essentially just trying to give something a physical value rather than saying, hey, this $1 bill is worth $1, right? Because it's like, Correct, okay, what does yeah. that mean, right? Um, yeah. But there, it was easier to kind of put a commodity connected with your currency 
so that there was a bit of a justification for the valuation of it, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah. So yeah, needless to say, this is really kind of the first major time um, that all currencies were not backed by really anything um, other than, uh, and and this is kind of like the, the key overarching uh, story for the rest of kind of currency, is that everything comes down to supply and demand, right? Um, and I would make the argument even more than just like supply and demand as a whole. It's really the demand, right? Yes. Um, demand is the number one driver when it comes to how do you value uh, and justify your currency's um, purchasing power, right? So <laughs> as you can kind of imagine with uh, the U.S. moving away from gold, um, it's a bit of a an unknown if you're another country, right? Whether you're Canada or the uh, it's, it's United a Kingdom, system or... almost, yeah, like yeah. Well, because because before, if you're can- like if, for us in Canada, <clears throat> our money is relative to U.S. the U.S. dollar, right? Back yes, um, when it was pegged by gold, gold, yeah. Um, so now, not only how do you evaluate the American dollar, but then you also have a situation of how do you evaluate your own dollar, right? You're right. Can I just then print end- endlessly? Can I uh, okay, justify yeah. paying a certain dollar amount versus another dollar amount um, yeah. for, for goods? So uh, keeping in mind this whole aspect of supply and demand being that number one driver for currencies, right? Um, the U.S. was able to maintain their uh, world reserve currency status, right? Which is something that gets talked about a lot in the news nowadays. Yes, but yes, yeah. um, but they were able to do this because uh, of Henry Kissinger, who I'm sure lots of people know yeah, that name. Incredibly, <laughs> still alive somehow. Yeah. 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 Um. He was the oh, is he? Secretary. What's it? What's like foreign secretary? I'm blanking Secret- on what it would be called yeah. in the United States. Yeah, um, Secretary of State. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's. Correct. Yeah, I think that's what it was. I think that that's I remember because I should know this just because of school, but I remember it mostly from a Call of Duty game <laughs> from way back. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, you know what? Why not? If you're, gonna, <laughs> if you're gonna remember it, it doesn't matter how how you yeah, learn. I appreciate, I appreciate sex, secretary of state. Yeah, that that makes sense in my head when you say it out loud. So uh, we'll go with that. But nevertheless, <laughs> Henry Kissinger, you can look him up. <laughs> but uh, he's a real person. <laughs> um, but he took a trip to uh, Saudi Arabia, specifically, um, kind of as Nixon chose to float the dollar. And uh, was able to kind of uh, get a deal with them and indirectly uh, OPEC, which I mean, we can talk about them in in, in a general sense. But uh, he was able to, to strike a deal with them to have all of their oil sales. Right. So obviously, Saudi Arabia is a big oil country. If you didn't know that, I guess. <laughs> um it's one of the number one <laughs> exporters. It's the wealth of, of their entire nation, pretty much. Um, but yeah, so all 
uh, oil and gas um, uh, trade producers. <laughs> or, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, trade is what I guess the word I was looking for um, was going to be done in U.S. dollars. So if they were selling oil, uh, what whatever if they're selling oil to uh, India, <laughs> let's say. Yeah. India would have to pay for that oil in U.S. In dollars. US dollars. Same thing with like right? South Africa or anybody else. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Insert name of country type of thing, yes, right? Yeah. Um, Which is uh, what so, we're used to today, right? Like everything's traded in U.S. dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that still up until very recently, uh, not to like kind of jump ahead and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, all um, oil and gas um, trade <laughs> was you or, or was paid for using US dollars, right? And so what that means is that a country uh, like Canada or India or China or whatever, South Africa, would have to take their dollars or like their currency, because obviously convert not it. everyone has dollars, yeah. um, and convert them into US, US yeah. dollars, right? So it's like... Uh, Depending on the ratio, whether it's a one to one trade, whether it's a one to five trade, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. But they would have to take their dollars and exchange them for U.S. dollars, right? Yeah, it, just, um, it makes you realize how the U.S. economy, like why the U.S. economy is the biggest economy in that sense, right? Like, yeah. So I, I, needs I, oil. So I love that you you went there with that because. Um, kind of bringing back and reminding ourselves about this supply and demand aspect. If you can artificially create demand for your currency, mm -hmm. then you have a lot more wiggle room on the supply end of things and your evaluation for your, your currency goes up. So yes, obviously the U S uh, uh, created this deal with Saudi Arabia and in large part, it kind of got expanded to OPEC because Saudi Arabia controls a lot of OPEC, yeah. uh, which it's the OPEC is the oil producing producing economies. Yeah, so know, something like that. I don't know. Oh, oh <laughs> OPEC, right? Yeah, yeah. I was like, what's the what's oil the acronym stand for? Um, here, I'll double check. Oh, by sure, the way, you want to look Kissinger. it up? But essentially, it's a bunch of a bunch of oil producing countries that kind of have creating a cartel makes it sound like a bad more of a bad <laughs> thing but it's essentially that they're all agreeing upon how much they're going to produce what yeah. they're going to sell it for it's trying to control the market a little bit more right rather than having some dominant players um control everything single-handedly right? control everything yeah right? right it's organization of petroleum exporting countries I oh there you go that, that sounds yeah. way, way yeah. better than whatever i said um but yeah Hopefully that makes sense. But yeah, because all of those countries um, were selling and buying, I guess, in theory, maybe um, oil using U.S. dollars and therefore most of the world also had to US, use U.S. dollars. Right? To purchase their OPEC fuel. is doing that. If the United States is doing that, obviously, because when they sell their own oil, they're going to make you pay in U.S. dollars. Right. Just like any other commodity that they produce in the in a in their country yeah. um yeah you essentially have a bunch of trade that is now showing up 
using U.S. dollars. So we have this term called the petrodollar, which is kind of we we used to have the gold standard, right? And then mm-hmm. it's, now it's, it's the, now it's shifted the to the petrodollar. Dollar. So, yeah. um, and that really does stress home just how valuable um, this uh, agreement over oil being uh, bought and sold with U.S. dollars really has, because it, it's basically saying that now, um, in the case of the U.S the commodity that their dollar is being backed by indirectly is really oil. Um, Even though on paper, they're not really explicitly saying that it just ends up working out that way because if that's how people are buying so many things um, or or if all the oil is being bought using us dollars, right. um, That in artificially technically inflates um, the demand and therefore the economy. Right. For the U.S. economy, yeah. Yeah. So uh, going off that, with that higher demand, right, um, artificial or not, um, the U.S. is essentially kind of over those years um, able to justify more development, right? Um, yeah. Because the more develop and the more... Oh, sorry. Let me back up a bit. They're able to justify more development because we've just already established that their purchasing power increases because their value of their currency demand goes up. Right? Yeah. Yes. Um, I just noticed my camera froze. Maybe it's frozen (laughs) entirely, but it's coming back. Oh, there we go. Okay. Um, I was going to say because it lagged a little on my end, but okay. There you go. Well, it's was strange. Yeah. (laughs) Um. So yeah, they they they're able to justify this this growth in the economy, right? Um, through development, right? Um, because they're able to say, hey, we have all this demand, we now have a higher purchasing power, um, even with our supply increasing, right? With the amount of dollars being printed, it doesn't really matter because the demand for wanting to spend those uh, currencies is at an all-time high type of thing right my my camera's going wonky this is what happens when it's on wi-fi (laughs) nevertheless you guys can still hear me so that's all that matters yeah just cut out on mine yeah um i'm gonna keep going rolling with it regardless it'll be your pretty face (laughs) (laughs) unfortunately for everybody else yeah Yeah. sorry guys (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah, so the more development means more stronger economy. Um and essentially it just I think it's this is like a little bit of a not fully acknowledged the impact on on the fact that the real success of America and and arguably like what people don't always realize is that the US was able to make it look like their economy was way greater because of these oil deals deals yeah and then uh like because they had that initial push they were able to create a lot more of economic development locally at home right infrastructure manufacturing all those things right you see a bit of a um especially kind of going into the leading into the 90s and the 90s in particular, right, where you have this bit of a recovery in the early 80s from 
from some stuff that happens in the 70s and then leading up to this booming economy of of the 90s. um, That's all that all gets justified because of this kind of evaluation of currency, really. Right. So um, and and it gets kind of doubled or like on itself because of the fact that the U.S. has the trade from all oil. They also then have built up their economy, so then they're doing more trade as well, just on things Overall, that are American yeah. goods, right? Doesn't yeah. matter what it is, food. Oh, yeah, they have a um, lot of natural resources, right? So Yeah, lots of natural resources, right? So it kind of was uh, the perfect storm for if you're America that you're now able to leap out ahead of all these other nations and spend more and more money because of the fact that you have, like, if you looked at, like, it's not a part of their GDP, right? A gross domestic product, um, which is essentially like the total amount of goods and services exchanged, right? Like, like the sale yeah. of things. <laughs> um, it, it's not, it's not a part of that, but because uh, that currency demand is still being utilized globally right yeah you have a situation where in a way the wealth of the united states includes a lot of those those oils trades yeah yeah right like because it is one of those weird situations where they're able to kind of justify um on paper you're like oh well everyone wants our currency so it doesn't matter if we produced it like yeah. it's good. It's trade being done with U.S. currencies, currencies, yeah. right? Because um, you compare that to, let's say, Canada. Well, Canada is working with the goods that we produce here locally. Are the only things that are bought and sold in Canadian dollars, right? So yeah. if we bought, like, if we create domestically, like, yeah, like Canadian steel, right? So our, that's a domestic thing that we do. We refine it. We sell it, whether we sell it in Canada or right, export where it, it's yeah. like you and I buy the steel or we sell it to like China or some some other country. Um, in doing that, that's the only use like demand for the Canadian dollar, right? Correct. It's the stuff that's bought and sold here, here. and then the stuff that we are able to export that other countries want to purchase from us correct yeah very different than the u.s who's like well saudi arabia makes is is producing some oil they're refining it they're doing the whole thing and then they're selling it to the world and then they sell it in our in our u.s dollar well the u.s had nothing to do with that but on like a Mm -hmm. currency side of things it shows that they have everything to do with that right it's as if it was their own product correct Um, yeah so yeah, it's uh I feel like uh <laughs> there's a bit of um I don't know, currency accounting. <laughs> I don't know what word word I'm trying <laughs> like or phrase I'm trying to look yeah. for, but like yeah, there there's a bit of I don't want to go as far as saying manipulation, because that is how the system works, right? Like it, it's supply and demand, yes. right? But because you're able to strike a deal to create demand, right? Uh you can make yourself look a lot better than you actually are. And then justify, okay, we're going to keep on growing uh, regardless of what may be even happening domestically, right? Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, hopefully that all may make sense, right? Um, just this aspect of um, how the U.S. was able to maintain their world reserve currency status for so long after oh. floating the dollar, right? Yeah, kind of shifting from the gold standard to the petrodollar, and then just the implications of that petrodollar um, allowing the U.S. to just keep growing their economy because um, everyone's oil is the main form of energy supply right so it's no matter yeah 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 so like the it's funny so in both cases right the Bretton woods agreement and then floating of the dollar those are really all about trying like for the u.s trying to uh justify development within their country right yeah um Again, I don't want to go too deep into it, but like, like obviously with World War II, right? Sure, it's the stability of the U.S. not um, not being a part of Europe that you're the chance of gold being stolen is less likely, right? So sure, yeah. that those things are a real real aspect of it, but the um, other part of it is really this sense of okay, if all other currencies are backed by the U.S. dollar, then we kind of can control the amount of growth globally, right? Because yeah. you like it keeps the U.S. can't can't do whatever they want, but then everyone else also can't do whatever, can't they, do want. whatever they want. Yeah, so right. It's... So it's a it's a little more of an even playing field. And then when they float the do- dollar, it's like, ooh, how do you value something? Well, we we now instead of everyone being backed by our currency. It's now that we're going to justify our currency because we are able to create this demand for it. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause I remember how... there was the oil shortages in the seventies, right? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, I remember cause I think if you look back then I think the U S dollar like jumped, I can't remember as just from like, so many people talking about it to me that like were older than me when they, grew up with it right yes yeah the yeah, it was obviously before our time so <laughs> yeah yeah it was yes before our time I but wasn't uh there <laughs> but yes the the price per barrel type of thing yeah jumped yeah uh and then obviously uh um, yeah the, the economy kind of yeah because we've talked about this i guess not really 80s. today but but oil in particular i mean touches pretty much like every aspect of our societies, right? Like yeah. it's the number one source of energy slash like product <laughs> that is used in, in most of our things, right? Like you want to ship things from one place to the other, you're going to need oil as like an energy source, right? You want to create yeah. certain products. Well, that takes oil to create that, right? Like it, it's just, everything in our economies are very much so backed by oil because they're oil. the number it's the number one energy source obviously source. an energy source is going to be your prime uh the most used one of your, yeah the most used resource yeah and most important from that for that Correct, matter, yeah. right especially, yeah no totally especially um, when you live in countries where you need heating in the winter or yeah in other right? cases like energy like or just even like um tropical countries where it's like if you don't have air conditioning 
elderly people become like their lives get at risk certainly like during heat waves and stuff without energy so it's yeah when you're talking yeah. about artificial demand it's almost like it's built into that in that sense where there'll always be a demand for the energy because somebody's so dependent on it for the like to live that it's the demand's always going to be there yeah exactly right oh yes it did it's upside down Upside down? Yeah, I was like, it's upside down. Did I fix myself? There we go. Okay. Back. I'm back. But yeah, hopefully with my multiple ramblings of, I feel like repeating myself, (laughs) this aspect (laughs) of of the demand for the US dollar, allowing them to just grow um, and kind of bring us to to where we are today, right? Because everyone also is backed by that same logic, right? If you like Canada's dollar is same thing, right? If people want to trade with Canada, uh, both domestically and internationally, um, all of those factors kind of get piled together to justify an evaluation of, hey, what is the Canadian economy worth? What is the Canadian dollar worth? What is uh, what kind of development, right? Future development are we able to justify? Yeah. Um, all of those kind of little nitty gritty factors kind of yeah like here's a you could put it in like together. a yeah like a flip scenario that like the u.s has their currency tied to oil right yep well, you could hypothetically live in a world where no hardwood lumber is traded that isn't tied to the canadian dollar because we're the largest source of right so like yep. you could right if, if it was in a world where we're like lumber was the main source of fuel still or something like that like us and Russia yeah or like, if we yeah. really didn't use like bricks <laughs> to build houses right like, mm-hmm. was, like our steel in general wasn't used to build yeah. buildings right so it's like oh my gosh well, lumber is the most important thing for any type of shelter and globally it's all traded in canadian dollars yeah that would really boost the canadian Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a hypothetical. Because it's not really the Canadian think... economy, right? Because the economy is supposed to focus on uh, what is like bought and sold within the Canadian context, but it's the like economics of currency rather than the like Canadian economy that gets yeah. affected by that. Where okay, if now if my we always look at like uh, the Canadian dollar to the U.S. dollar, right? So if, if typically uh, for every Canadian dollar, you get 80 cents, let's say, for in the U.S. Well, now if we have a situation where um, for every Canadian dollar, we get 90 cents to the to the U.S. dollar. Well, that means you can now go and buy. Uh, I don't know what the percentage of that would be <laughs> going from 80 to 90, 90 off the top yeah. of my head was that like a uh i don't know <laughs> this is embarrassing trying to do mental math right now it's like a seven <laughs> percent increase in, yeah. increase or uh, is... um to go up the the 10 percent there um but yeah, to to do that, it's that's an increase in your purchasing power that you now globally can say, I want to buy a good from India. I want to buy a good from 
from Russia. I want to buy a good from Egypt. And now I'm able to get more bang for my buck. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's super important. Uh, it, it's really allowed to justify, um, a lot of the success I would argue of the United States. Um, and, and kind of for sure. That makes sense. Yeah. Cause they're also themselves a fairly large oil producer as well. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they're producing exactly. They're producing a lot. Other countries are producing a lot. And I don't want to go as far as like, I don't want to jump too far ahead of with things and say, we're starting to see uh, a world where, uh, if you want to have a cynical view of how the petrodollar kind of functions in that you're kind of uh, cooking the books, if, if you understand that expression. Yes, where yes, like, so true. Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> if that's the case, we're now running into the time where, okay, it's 2023 and the justification for the U S economy is kind of catching up with itself. Right. Yeah. And countries, there's a mixture of a lot of different reasons for why that's happening, but the kind of greatness that is the American economy is kind of showing its true colors because if you get rid of, um, right. If some of these countries like OPEC, like the OPEC nations or China or whatever, like if, if some countries, are deciding not to do their oil trades in U.S. dollars. Again, it's not the U.S. economy, but it hits the U.S. economy super hard because the value of our dollar of their dollar and their purchasing power globally, yeah, yeah, diminishes greatly, right? So yeah, again, I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole because then I I need to feel like I need to explain all the reasons why we're in that situation and blah 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 blah. But I I hope you guys can, and I'm sure Jordan, you you probably already know because we talk a lot. But regardless, uh, I I hope anyone who's listening is getting the implications at least of this idea of a petrodollar and and how to artificially. control currencies through supply and demand and value them yeah 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 because i think that you know it's easy to think oh yeah the u.s dollar but i think a lot of people forget it's like it's because it's connected to all oil sales yeah 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 and and i mean i guess the other kind of part that i didn't really touch upon but when you have the status of the the world's reserve currency um, what that really means is that, uh, in theory, the U.S. dollar is supposed to be the most stable currency in the world, yeah. right? It's supposed to be the equivalent of the store of wealth, right? That definitely yeah. was like the case under the Bretton Woods Agreement because they did not have a choice other than, hey, we have X amount of gold. Gold is worth like X amount of dollars globally. Therefore, our currency is what it is, worth right? Whatever. Yeah. Um, when the kind of, uh, floating of the dollar and the petrodollar comes into play, it still maintains that status because there's kind of a guaranteed amount of trade that's probably going to happen globally uh, within a little bit of wiggle room because of the the whole, yeah, oil and gas 
as well as just the American economy in general, right? Like all of those factors where it's like, okay, safe enough. I can store my money as American dollars and I'll feel comfortable with that. Yeah. So many nations around the world in their own central banks uh, have U.S. dollars, right? Like China is, uh, I believe they are still the like number one uh, country oh, for yeah. holding U.S. treasuries. Still, yes. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like, so yeah, it's not always in like cash. It sometimes are in like treasury bonds and, and whatnot, yeah. but um, it's, it's, to your it's, point, sim- it's yeah. replaced gold. In that <laughs> yeah, sense, exactly. Right? Like, right? People used to have gold. Yeah. They'll store gold to in their vaults. But now it's like, Oh, I'll store us dollars. US dollars right. Yeah. So that also increases the demand from an American side of things where you're like, well, I'll, uh, like if I'm America and Jordan, you're you're Canada, and you're like I'm going to buy some American dollars and just leave them in the central bank type of thing to kind of store some wealth. Um, yeah, you're you're I now get to like add that to the like demand side of things and yeah. justify maybe increasing the supply, supply right? Where it's like yeah. oh, so many people want my currency, I got to add more so yeah. that I can. Uh, actually purchase all the things that i need right yes um but yeah hopefully you're right that all kind of makes sense and and that all that good stuff um but we're gonna slightly shift gears right because i do think that that was really important for kind of how money gets its value today right um i used we talked a lot about an american context obviously i hope that should make sense of why we did that but the general aspect of supply and demand applies to everyone right that's the even playing field so to speak um that is our currency today but we also just established that it's not so even at times not as, yeah it appears not as it appears sorry yeah yeah not not everything is as uh as it seems um but yeah so shifting slightly um we talked about how currencies get their value, but now I think it's interesting to maybe talk about how banks get their value, right? Again, this is our part two for banking and currency. <laughs> so yeah, we, we did the currency. currency side of things. Now it's the banking side of things. Um, and so we know how money is created. We know that central banks kind of typically are the ones that control that with printing new money. Um, but there's also this aspect of uh, regional slash national banks, depending on where you live. Um, yeah, in our case, yeah. Yeah, like us, it's more, it's like our national banks, but then the states, regional banks do it. Um, but it's creating money, um, like currency, essentially, uh, through credit is how they do it, right? Um, and with that is also how banks make their profit. Right. So, of course, uh, well, Jordan, I mean, I'm putting you on the spot more just because I I know I ramble a lot. So (laughs) Um, what would you say, like off the top of your head? Again, I'm I'm really you weren't expecting me to to ask this, but uh, what are the two two major things that you would say that a bank is able to make money off of? And I just kind of gave the hint so to speak of well, yeah, one, they make money or they create money through credit <laughs> yeah well, i was gonna say one is housing and loans yeah so yeah the broad term of loans yeah yeah any type of loan loans um, and then um like mortgages uh yeah. lines of credit 
I would say loans, and then the other one would be like kind of like the basic, like you're storing our money in here, so we charge you a fee. Yeah, so that definitely, um, uh, yeah, that definitely is is a part of it. I would say that it's less a part of things nowadays, and the reason being is because uh, most banks have like a hey, if you store a minimum amount of money we're not going to charge you anything, right? Yeah. There it's more of a I guess they use that tool as an incentive for you to keep their your money with them rather than yeah. a revenue source. Does that make sense, right? Like yeah. so uh it's not that you, you know how we talked about it in the previous episodes um that when the goldsmiths started to become like kind of the equivalent of banks, yeah. they were storing their your wealth and for a fee to kind of protect it. Well, exactly. now we look at banks and say like, no, it's your job to protect it. Right. Like, yeah, like so okay, I'm not that's... paying you for, for that part of it. Like that is your existence. If you don't want to protect it, then that's on you and you don't exist as a bank. And you don't right? get money. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like banks that don't protect your money. And again, I'm, <laughs> that's a whole other thing to, to argue <laughs> about, so to speak. But in theory, if you're a bank who doesn't protect, uh, your customer's money, well, then you will not function or survive as a bank because bank. that's yeah. your, besides the transaction of uh, of goods and services, that is your only purpose for existence, right? It's to keep um, it safe, yeah. Yeah, it's to keep it safe. It's to store my money. Um, so yeah, the other kind of major one that I like to, to look at is also credit cards, right? Yes, um, yeah. And yeah, uh, so they're kind of both the loans and the credit cards. Really, they they're working under the same type of mechanic for in terms of uh, how they make money, and it's really just based off of interest, right? Yes. Um, yeah, okay. Uh, loans typically, I mean, it depends on the type of loan, right? A mortgage um, is a little bit more relative to um uh, the central banks like yeah. the prime interest rate yeah um so it's like banks make whatever 2% on top of whatever the prime is prime is yeah um a line of credit you might have it where it's more like it can maybe fluctuate a little bit but maybe that hovers around the like 8 9 10%, 10% range yeah and then you have credit cards where so this is a little bit like a larger conversation but credit cards obviously the the two main ones not that i really want to <laughs> mention them but i'll go to anyways visa and mastercard are probably yeah, the, like the biggest um, kind of globally uh accepted uh credit cards and so they are the ones that get to earn all of like the interest um right like so there they have a credit card that like if you don't make your payment then it, they charge you like 19 percent on, on your yes credit. yes um and there's certain like <clears throat> levels of credit cards you can get under each one that the interest rate will change yeah exactly so it, yeah. But, but it fluctuates their higher higher interest oh sorry guys my recent oh, okay. um okay <laughs> yeah uh <laughs> Now that's all I can hear. Um, neighbor's dog, yeah. Yeah, so so that has a lot higher interest rate. 
the other kind of aspect with credit cards is that like so obviously uh if i'm with td bank right well td doesn't own visa but their credit cards are visa so visa essentially pays a fee to uh td so that td provides uh Visa credit cards, right? Yeah, to their customers. And then, so they get, essentially, they're getting a a, a chunk of money, right? So the bank gets money from Visa. So it's not really based off of the interest at that rate. It's more of just like an agreement on a a total amount. And then Visa, as a credit card company, or MasterCard as a credit card company, makes their money off of the interest if you don't pay your your monthly Monthly credit. Yeah. Yeah, like whatever you paid for the or bought for that month used yeah yeah or uh or not or and the and they get money from uh so when you go to i don't know the grocery store and pay with a credit card there is a transaction fee that uh the your local grocery yeah. store or wherever right you can be at a any any place that you're paying with the with the credit card, card pays yeah. a fee to either visa or mastercard for that, service, that right application yeah, yeah yes yeah so yeah, that's how they drive all their revenue it, some of it gets pushed back to the bank but as a whole yeah you got everything from service fees to uh credit loan or interest loans um okay. that that banks are able to make all this money from right it's all these interests um, from lending money out yeah yeah and I think that it's in important to know that in particular the how how banks make money, right, in terms of creating credit or or loaning out money, like giving yeah. credit to people. Um because the incentive is essentially there with the fact that they make money off of those loans. Um it's really I think an important thing for us to realize as a society that um, it shouldn't be that surprising that we have all these situations like in 2008 with like the, the bank bailouts. Yeah. Um, Wall street and everything. Yeah. yeah, Right. Like you can even argue that like many times over both prior to that and even still currently in our society. Yeah. Right. That, uh, with the incentive to give people more money in order to make more money back, it's hard to control that flow so that it um, kind of like evenly distributes itself. Yeah, yeah. evenly distributes and, and doesn't increase the economy at too high of a pace, right? That the economy isn't justifying that new influx of currency right because we've already just established that uh currencies are all based around supply and demand but if you're a bank your job is to increase supply from a business standpoint because when you increase supply you're able to increase your own profit margins yeah um so yeah it, it, it is a i don't know it's it it's one of those things that you're like i feel like we've overlooked this a little bit here, right? (laughs) Like that, this aspect of maybe we should have not put these two things so closely together in the sense that like something that we don't want to have happen where it's like, Oh, 
like print all this money and give it yeah. all these loans and all this stuff. But then at the same time, you're like, well, that's their only purpose, right? Like if, like a, if banks card. were completely centralized, like top to bottom, that there was only, there was no TD bank, there was no Bank of America, there was no just whatever. Branches, one yeah, name. if you just yeah. had the National Bank of Canada, and the National Bank of the United States, and that was 100% of banks were like that. I think then you could maybe have a world where banks aren't making profit because it just would be like a government they're localized agency yeah. type of thing, yeah. right? Like, yeah, it would be funded by the government and it, it would just be this purpose of uh, trade, I guess, for yeah. that matter. Um, like. Yeah, like a, a method for executing exchange. Um, but yeah, we don't live in that world. <laughs> and so we have a situation where you're like, oh, let me push these loans on people. Or I think the big one is always credit cards, right? big time um, oh yeah and like yeah they catch people that way because you get them young right and it's oh look you're yeah you can borrow three thousand really... dollars and yeah because yeah. you're like three thousand you need your first car yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you need like, your I'm first car going off yeah. to university or whatever yeah. right yeah yeah um yeah it is like i think it is super interesting because you don't have anyone who's really teaching how to use a credit card properly and yes. then you have situations where it's like, okay, I either will hear from someone who says, oh, don't use a credit card at all. Like you're going to, it'll ruin your life. And that's true for some people because some people don't know how to use a credit card. Yeah. Right. But then the reality is, is uh, credit cards are great uh, because it's, it's a way to delay your payments, but you shouldn't be buying things on a credit card that you don't actually have the ability to pay off pay in the off. first place. Yeah. If you can't right? pay it off in 30 days or whatever, 60 yeah. days, sometimes you right? get those like 45 day ones. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, but it, because it kind of works like if you bought something at the beginning of a um, month's like a credit card cycle, mm-hmm. you're not paying it for, yeah, close to 60 days. days type of yeah. Thing, right. Yeah, because exactly. by the time the like the bill comes in and then you have whatever. 15 20 so many days, days to pay it yeah pay exactly it, right so it it is a great way to manage your finances not to mention to build your credit which is like useful for if you want to go and get that loan for like a mortgage yeah, for a house they look or, at your history mhm right of how so you pay things back yeah did you pay it off are you utilizing all yes. the credit so and it's they, it's like, yeah. super important but it's one of those things that most people don't use credit cards like that they don't no. use uh, they no, it's going, either, going on a it's like trip. oh I, yeah. I, yeah right it's like i'm putting it on credit because i actually can't afford it right <laughs> like rather than like i'm putting it on credit to build my uh economic portfolio wealth. yeah if that makes yeah sense. see it's like you know if it's like the start of a billing period and you're maybe like a week out from a payday and you're like okay well i need 40 dollars worth of groceries yeah Right. Put it on your credit card, and then within seven days, you pay that forty dollars off. Yeah. And then you have, and then that's how you build healthy credit. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Like that. It's 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 sad, and we talk about this a lot with uh, kind of looking at our education system of what do, do they actually teach us. But it's sad that something like that is not prioritized yeah well they only uh, stopped collecting interest on student loans here like two years ago okay yep. that, roughly right yeah i'm just about to finish paying mine off and i'm thinking I know, about right? it and like 
that was two years ago, but for someone like <clears throat> me or like, there's, I guess there's probably a lot of people there. like me. Yeah. yeah. Like in that, like middle to end of like the millennials where you're like yeah it's <laughs> yeah yeah where your costs for schools yeah. were, were quite high yeah and they got rid of the interest that. payments two years ago but if i think if i've been out for eight so that's just call it six years of paying interest like at this point yeah. the very little bit i'm left paying is probably the interest i've accumulated over the seven or yeah. eight years yeah <laughs> right? yeah it's it's crazy right yeah so see in our case that's the government copying the bank yeah for them to make make money make, the same way make money off of you uh yeah. going to school which is a whole other conversation that uh we'll I'm save sure for, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll tear up some other time so be like, what are we doing yeah. here people yeah that's a different um, dish <laughs> yeah um i know like I want to be conscious of time, even though we have episodes that go way later than this. Yeah, <laughs> um, yes. But um, uh, it's the, it's the long weekend for Jordan and I to, today, so I'm sure there's yes. lots, lots going on. Yeah, so but, if you're in England, it's not a bank holiday where we are. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, and again, this is at the time of recording, so who knows when this will actually air. <laughs> but I, I want to slightly kind of shift gears kind of combining the two things to, together, right? Like how um, currency gets its value and then, and then how like kind of banks function with making profit and all that profit, kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and Loans Jordan, you already really talked about it earlier, um, but it's the context of hyperinflation, right? You were talking yes. about uh, like Germany in the 20s. And 20s, like, yes. And, uh, like, I don't know, like, they kept printing money they, until the value like, became next to nothing. And then you had like... Hungary in like the end of... I don't know, World War One or World War Two. One of the, I think one. World War Two. One. I think, yeah, I think one. it was one. Yeah. Because nevertheless, there's examples of, of <laughs> countries that have gone through hyper hyperinflation. Inflation, yeah. um, of course, hyperinflation. Everyone knows what inflation is nowadays, especially because we've had our episode on inflation. So if you haven't checked that out, um, but hyperinflation is that extreme version where it's like your money overnight just becomes worthless. It's like just tanks. Uh, yeah. Yeah. For Something that used to cost you a dollar is now going to cost you ten dollars, right? Like it, you, the the cost yeah, of Germ- things is just astronomically just. Yeah, in the out. Germany case in the twenties, it was like million reichs was like the cost of a loaf of bread. Yeah, right. Where you're like, like how, how do you even fathom a scale like that, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's why a lot of currencies even fail, right? Like that's why the the it's happened a lot throughout just yeah. in the last hundred years or so. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we kind of already, as we kind of talked about in this episode, we probably talked about it in the last episode, um, but what we have today are called fiat currencies, right? F-I-A-T, fiat. Yeah, like the car, Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And so what those are, it's just essentially, it's it's currencies that are not backed by any kind of commodity. It is simply focused on supply and demand. the role, of course, of central banks, um, they are the main driver for when it comes to determining the value of a country's currency because they're controlling the supply for the most part, right? Obviously, we established banks do that as well. Um, but whether it be central banks or the like regional national banks situation, if they don't regulate their currencies, aka the amount 
of currencies they are putting into circulation, which we've kind of seen in recent years with the COVID stuff. I'm sure that's that word's going to get flagged, (laughs) but never, nevertheless, uh, with, with all of the, the policies around, um, printing currencies over the last few years and many examples prior to that, um, you run the risk of inflation and at worst, uh, it can lead to hyperinflation, right? Um, that's a huge, huge sticking point, I think, when it comes to leading back to this idea of how do banks make profit? Well, it's making money. And collecting because interest, they don't yeah. all... Sorry, what was that? Oh, it's like collecting interest, yeah. Yeah, yeah, collecting interest and all that stuff. But I think the the key kind of connecting point to focus on is that uh, whether it's a central bank or a regional or national bank or credit card companies or whatever it may be... Um, these groups are not necessarily communicating all together with like the government at large and saying, Hey, this is our policy of like how we want to have things. Yeah. Can you work with us? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So if you have some banks being like, Oh, I just need to make profit. So I'm going to keep pumping out loans. Right. And just like, whatever, we'll charge a higher interest to justify it, even though they might not have the money for it. Right. Or whatever it may be. Right. Like the 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 central bank is like, oh, we have to bail out um, people because there's a pandemic or, oh, the banks uh, or or Wall Street needs bail. All these massive companies have like overspent. So we have to print a lot lot more money or we have this big infrastructure project that we're trying to do. Right. Green technologies. Maybe we're pumping stuff in. Right. All of those things cost money. All of those things ultimately are going to probably increase the money money supply um, rather, rather than, than yeah. simply just, hey, we have all this money just sitting over here. Let's just spend some of it, right? Yeah. Um, we live in a society of debt, and that debt kind of keeps building upon itself. And if we're not careful, that debt will tip you us to a point where we our money is just kind of worthless, right? Yes, yeah. Um, and then you do have those scenes in... Like the Weimar Republic days. Yeah. Like yeah. With the wheelbarrow cash. type of yeah. <laughs> situation where it's like, all He's right, I'm ready to go grocery like, shopping. Yeah. He's like, just going to get like a newspaper. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. You just start burning, burning the money for. Yeah. That was the other warmth, kids. Right? In the, yeah. They had the kids burning cash to stay yeah. warm. Yeah. yeah. Picture the Great Depression, but on like a almost even scarier scale at sometimes, right? Like, yeah. Is that. Yeah, yeah, that sense because yeah, it's that was because it's not that money isn't available; it's that your money is not worth anything. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So scary, scary stuff. Yeah. Um, but kind of the the only other thing that I want to point out with hyperinflation in particular that I think is somewhat interesting, um, is that typically this is something that will happen when a government has to print more money to pay off its debts. Right. Yeah. So a lot of times governments can get away with, okay, we're going to print money. We're going to print money, but we're paying off. Like we're just buying new things. Right. Yeah. We're we're putting an influx into the economy. It's only when those debts come due and like, so right with the Weimar Republic, obviously it's the kind of punishment after world war one. Right. Uh, Whatever, there's lots of different examples about that, like that, but it's this idea that the government all of a sudden has to 
pay out a large lump sum sum of money yeah yeah that the only way for them to do it is to dilute everyone's currency and so you and i aren't going to get more currency but if the government prints overnight a bunch of currency then yours and my money is now worth a lot less and so they may have paid their debt right because it's like oh they owed billions of dollars and so they had to pay it all off but then now something like the scale is all off right so you're having a situation where like we said like that loaf of bread is a million dollars or whatever right depending on how how extreme of situation it is um it it only really kind of catches up to you when a government has to pay off a bunch of things. That's why governments are able to utilize a bit of a system where they can kind of just live in debt. Like they, they use debt they, to pay off debt type of situation. Yeah. Right. And that works to a t- to a point, but then eventually if you have too many things that come due at the same time, then you have to now you have to just make a decision of like, okay, well, how are we going to do this? Like if we just keep getting more debt to pay off the debt, well, like, Maybe not, right? Like maybe we're going to actually have to figure something out. And that's where economies just crumble under that kind of pressure. Pressure, Um, And it's really kind of harps back to this idea of like credit and and creating money because, right, all money is fiat currency. It's really just based off of supply and demand. There's no commodity that is connected to it. Um, But it stresses the importance of putting money towards productive assets. So you want to be putting our money towards things that are going to produce for like a, like a GDP standpoint. Like a, if you're putting in a infrastructure things that they're going to allow for businesses to flourish or they if they're going to yeah. fund actual businesses, then that those businesses are going to produce a lot in the economy and buy it and sell and sooner and quicker. And yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It can't be way down the road. Right. We want to have, uh, a return on investment as yeah, quickly as possible. Yeah. 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 Right. A little ROI for sure. Yeah. Um, we want like countries still have to run themselves like businesses at the end of the day, even though they have a lot more tools at their expo- disposal. Uh, disposal yeah. Right. Uh, a country's not really going bankrupt. Right. But they will have a temporary situation where the their economy is kind of crumbling because it needs to shift its focus. In a way. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I, I feel like I, I I've rambled <laughs> as, no, as I, I always do and, uh, made it a uh shared a lot too. of information, but yeah, do you, I don't know. Do you have questions? Anything you want to add? Like, like that? Kind no, of I stuff? think, I think a guy asked all the ones I think I had because okay. I was learning stuff as we were going here. So <laughs> yeah, I was going to say some of these things are not necessarily common knowledge, right? Like others are, I mean, I'm sure lots of people have heard about like the petrodollar and all that kind of yeah. stuff. But um, no, it's just interesting, hopefully yeah. packaging it all together gives you a bit of a sense of, hey, this is what our, our money really is. This is why some countries are able to do things than others are not. Uh, this is the fragility of like how fragile our uh, economies can be when it comes to, to money because of the fact that Hey, we have a lot of parties that are able to utilize money, but they're not all communicating with each other. Yeah. Right? Including going as far as right with the a situation like the pandemic, like a lot of money was printed. It didn't necessarily all go to the places that it should have. 
right? Even something as simple as like if you and I got money, right? Like there's a chance that you and I chose to go on a trip or we chose to go buy a new, I don't know, like pools really were popular, right? Because you couldn't yeah. go anywhere. So it was yeah, like something like that, Yeah, you get your own right? little vacation spot in the back. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it wasn't, that money wasn't going towards, oh my goodness, how am I going to put food on the table? Yeah, it was, right? it was going towards commodities. Yeah, yeah, like just like luxuries and things like that. Or yeah. or if it's from a business standpoint, maybe it was going to CEO's bonuses or, right? Like, and I'm not saying that that's across the board, yeah but no, the reality is, is it happened yeah yeah oh yeah right like so for every company that needed it to be able to pay their i don't know restaurant workers that weren't able to work you also had another company who was doing fine and just was like sweet we're gonna put that on the, the revenue side of things right <laughs> yeah yeah um and go from there but yeah i'm sure i'm gonna go back through this episode and just hear my dog barking the whole time <laughs> the house has gone crazy when did she start up again it was about 15 minutes ago or yeah. so yeah, yeah yeah so i i want to uh apologize again because there's probably no way i'm getting rid of that i'm not no, no. i'm not not that tech savvy with uh all the multimedia it's, stuff it's that like the cicada required. yeah it's like the cicada i can hear right which is something yeah easy. right yeah some things we're just gonna have to accept but hopefully it won't be too bad when you guys go come and listen to this but uh yeah Hopefully you learned something new. Hopefully you enjoyed the episode. Um, as always, right? Have, have these kind of conversations, learn new things with your friends and family. Yeah, chat it out. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We love to do that here. And uh, yeah, I guess with that being said, as always, I'm Braden. He's Jordan. We're the Realist Idealists. And this is Power View. <laughs>